Hello everyone, welcome to another installment of the Bullet Points Podcast, the podcast that is posted bi-weekly on the Structure team. Uh, you can set your you can set your watch by it. Never miss never miss a date. Uh, that's a joke for you. It's been a while <laughs> since we've done one because turns out running a site and all that stuff is, is difficult. Um, but here we are. We're here to do one for uh, this current month we're running. So I am your host, Reaper Carter, uh, and I am joined by Bullet Points co-editor, uh, what's his name again? Is it Yusuf <laughs> Cole? That's what my notes say. Yusuf, how are you? Um, I'm good. I am here, ready to talk about this game. And yep, go on. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> That's all we could ask for. Uh, I am also joined by uh, Bullet Points friend of the site, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Julie Muncy, uh, contributor to Wired. You know Julie. She's written many things for this website and been on the podcast before. Julie, how are you? I am alive and well, um, staying at home a lot with my wife and my cat, and thinking a lot about video games. It's been going okay. It's been going okay. That's, I think, all any of us can ask for right now is to be alive and have a cat and maybe a wife (laughs) as a bonus. (laughs) And (laughs) we also have unwinnable managing editor Amanda Hudgens. Amanda. Yes. Are you? Oh, um, I'm good, I think. Uh, yeah. I'm your token Kentuckian. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we are, as you can probably see from the title of the episode uh, and what Amanda just said, we're talking about Kentucky Route Zero. We are, by the time this goes up, uh, just at the end of the month uh, that we've spent talking about the game um with all four of us on this call here we collected all of us for this call um kentucky route zero i guess to introduce it if you don't know what it is just in case um it's an adventure game kind of i don't know it's a video game uh by cardboard computer a three-person team um and it's been kentucky route zero is sort of a just to give the kind of boring not all that great description it's a surrealist examination of uh i don't know work debt and hard times in a an imagined version of kentucky um that uh has come out episodically over the last seven years uh it was originally i think kickstarter funded yeah um which is fun to Amanda mentions this in you mentioned this in the year article with the Kickstarter video, which is a real treat to go back and look at if you've <laughs> played this game because it's the weird mirror universe version of the game. Um, but anyway, it's the first almost claymation. Yeah, it's I it, maybe it would have been cool. I don't know. It's just so so completely different than what it is. Um, but anyway, the first episode of this game came out in 2013, uh, I think January 2013, and they've been releasing every couple or few years since then, and the final act, Act 5, 
uh, came out at the end of January. So now we're ready to talk about it fully. So I don't know, maybe I'll go first to I'll go first to Amanda and just do the you know, we'll all go around and just do the really uh, boring introductory question that usually leads to something. <laughs> Amanda, do you like Kentucky Route Zero? Um, I do. That's a complicated question, but I think it is ultimately a very um, well-made game. Um, it manages to be deeply evocative, and it kind of taps into this pseudo-dream state kind of thing. Um, my issues with it are entirely location-based, um, but I, I do like the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we, I think it'd be interesting to get into some of that as well. Um what Amanda, what you talked about in your article, uh, as someone actually from Kentucky, I think the perspective you have on this game's very specific setting is something worth getting into. Um, but before that, Julie, thumbs up, thumbs down. Absolutely a thumbs up. Yeah, I think it's very compelling and um, it's... It... It taps into the combination of the mundane and the strange in a way a lot of my favorite things do. And it's very emotive and poetically written, and I find it very compelling. Which is, I think, important for me, because I never play adventure games. Mm -hmm. They're not really my genre, so the fact that Kentucky Route Zero sort of transcends that style to be something more than that for me feels very meaningful. Mm Mm-hmm. What about you, Yusuf? Uh, yeah, I also liked it. I think it must be... Is that a bullet points first? Everyone liked the game? Well, I, we haven't asked <laughs> you yet. Um, but I, I did... <laughs> I did uh, I really... good stuff. Yeah. You hate quality, I get it. Um, uh-huh. But, yeah, it was, for me it was really interesting going back and playing it uh, as a whole because I had I did play it when it first came out. Uh, up until I think chapter three, and then I fell off, <clears throat> and I liked it. I was like, but by the time chapter four came out, I was like, I can't. I'm gonna wait. Um, which I'm glad I did because it kind of allowed the experience to be a bit less disjointed toward the end, where it was like, you know, the the gap between chapter four and chapter five being the one that's that was the longest. But uh, mm-hmm. justice to kind of go back to that, I think that going like playing. Replaying those first few chapters was really reinforced that the game it holds up. It's still really, you know, one of the best written games out there, um, and also stunning, like be- a beautiful game. I think the art direction is is part of why I think, to Julie's point, like why I would I'm into an adventure game where I normally wouldn't um, kind of engage with it just because. Um, there is just it is just a it's a it's a lot of reading you know it, there's a lot of just reading words in this game and then uh, packaging it in this really beautiful kind of aesthetic and that that it is that is evocative that is really um, gorgeous to look at and also you know just like covers so many different areas visual areas where um, some of it's you know these like stunning landscapes some of it is really lo-fi um 
like eight like eight bit computer or even two bit computer like vector scope style um, graphics. So it's it manages to be um, really like visually interesting and also beautiful. So I think that stood out to me a lot going back to it because um, you know a lot of games you go back to from twenty thirteen um, really feel like they're from twenty thirteen. Um, it's kind of a weakness of mm. the weakness of the genre or the medium. Um, but I think this game, because the art has been so strong from the beginning, like that, that was really fun to kind of go back and see it, see how well it stood up, which is well, very well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to just uh, reiterate a lot of the same things, but I, I like this game a whole lot. And I was just thinking <clears throat> about what Yusuf was talking about, too. Um, one of the things that's really striking about this game, I played each of the episodes or acts at least once when they came out. Uh, and then, uh, I think I wrote something before act four, so I might've played the first three, like three times or something. I don't know. (laughs) But then, uh, after having played all of them, you, you know, pretty close to when they came out, I, I went through and, uh, played through all of them in a row before writing uh, about the game and one of the things that I thought was really striking and I think is interesting when you look at something I think about this pretty often with uh, long running TV shows um, or, or just any kind of art that you're putting out that is being released in installments I think there's always the risk that uh, you're going to have an unevenness to it you're going to have people sort of um you know this is the nature of making anything you're going to look back on what you made and notice things that you liked and didn't like and take that into what you do next um but playing through this game as a whole i think if you just released it all at once it wouldn't feel like it was something that was made uh over the course of seven years by um a team working together as as this is their first video game project at least I don't know if they maybe worked together on you know in other media before um, but just the consistency of the game and kind of the confidence in, in what it's doing and especially when you see some of the, the stuff they've been pretty open about uh, discarding ideas and and different concepts along the way uh, it all feels like they knew exactly what they wanted to do the entire time and you know, it's kind of a feat also when you're making a game uh, that has to do with old problems uh, and also new problems from the real world um, manifesting in different ways. And so I'm kind of curious, maybe as a point of discussion, to to maybe just get into um, if this game kind of looked different to you at different times as you were playing it. Um, you know, if if circumstances in in the rest of the world, you know, colored this in different ways, or if you felt like, you know, the format itself was harmful or beneficial to what the game is doing um, with the, I mean, the long waits between releases. I think it's interesting that you, you feel that it's cohesive because I have kind of the opposite feeling. I think Mm -hmm. it definitely feels to me like a game that was made over seven years. (laughs) Like, uh, I don't think... I think that if you sat down with the team 
in like what 2013 2010 whenever what, like whenever they first like drafted this i don't mm-hmm. think this is the game that they were ma- they were making like i i just cuz i don't think that it necessarily works very well as like a one one lump like everyone i've everyone i've talked to locally that i've played it with were like okay i tried to sit down and play it in one chunk and i just can't like it's like i have to play it i have to give like some space between the acts and i mm-hmm. i don't necessarily view that to its detriment because again i think it is very dreamlike and being cohesive is not something that we know of dreams <laughs> but yeah um i don't know like i think i think the way that for example to get super into spoiler ter- territory super quick. Oh yeah, we uh, should no, we should say up front that let's like let's talk about whatever. That's usually the way we do it because it's more interesting. So I yeah, think, that's spoiler warning. Yeah, so I think that the way that the game discards Conway in Act Three is very bizarre based on his placement in Act One as kind of the main character, mm-hmm. and they just kind of drop him a little bit unceremoniously. <laughs> yeah, so I like I wonder about that because I felt that when I was playing Act 4 and 5, but then going back to it and and I think <clears throat> you must be right, Amanda, that this is not the game that they envisioned <laughs> making, right? Like I think they've been pretty clear too about how much this thing has changed as it's gone along and that um, the spaces in between episodes or acts have been have been based on you know making decisions <laughs> on things to cut out that they thought they were going to do. Um, but to me, there's like even the the differences in how each act is structured and the way the characters come in and out. Like I, I wonder also if it's me excusing it because of the format in a weird way the Conway leaving and the kind of emptiness of someone who you looked at as a main character being gone to me kind of worked in the sense of, you know, the kind of tragedy of, of him, uh, you know, being taken away to hard times distillery and everything. But, uh, not to say that, you know, what, what you're saying isn't valid it's you're not just, invalidating um... me you're fine <laughs> <laughs> but i wonder uh julie and or yusuf what what you think about this too yeah um so i uh didn't play kentucky route zero as it was coming out it was always one of those i things that I'm meaning to do and never got to. So at the, at the, at the beginning of this year, when the, when, the, when the fifth episode finally released, that's when I started digging into it. And yeah, I feel like the episodes each are very distinct from each other, um, but I feel like they hang together in a way that makes sense. Like, at least in my experience playing it, if you told me that they were all made within a much shorter time i would buy that and and i i do feel like it holds together as a singular thing but also that each act is sort of 
yeah, built in a way that you're supposed to, I think, want to give it its own space. Like, I can't imagine playing more than one act of this in a day just because of the way each departs from the other so, so sharply and, like, the depth of the tragedy in it and, like, especially, yeah, what happens to Conway was really, really upsetting and sad to me. Um, and just... Uh, yeah... I feel like there is definitely a sense of, of a lot of ideas that could have, you know, been... That, 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 that they could have gone a lot more deeply into or discarded very freely and very quickly and very often. Um, but I also feel like there's never a sense that the design or writing of the games is losing control of that tendency. I don't feel like there's ever a sense that they're discarding things that are necessary to move forward or discarding things because, you know, they've forgotten about them or something, which with some really long-form narratives over a long, long period of time, that is a feeling you get, and that can be very sort of disconcerting as a player, reader, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean... <clears throat> Oh, sorry, you said Oh, I mean, ahead. yeah, just to add, like, um, yeah, I think that the, the, also the shape of, like, the shape of the narrative, or the way it's told, like, seems designed to work in the segmented way, because it really is, like, the characters, like, yes, you do get a lot of their story, and their backstory, and depth, and, and their depth, and, like, their kind of what's going on in their heads, but... I feel like they're also more ciphers into like a into or, or like or guides on a journey uh, or some kind of odyssey where they're showing you different worlds and different um, vignettes. So they're mm -hmm. in that way, like the different acts are really meant to introduce you to like different people. Um, and then, <clears throat> I mean, there is like a weakness in that. I do think in like in that. I never felt like I really just like understood Conway or associated with him personally. Like I was like, because like, for example, like him, um, like his alcoholism is, is, you know, it makes, it makes a certain sense, but it's also like uh, sort of convenient. Um, and there's not a lot of like struggle or tension there. So like him kind of, going away you know unceremoniously i think it was like a bit jarring but uh, yeah again at the same time i think that is fine because because it is the, more about the spaces that they that they kind of wander into um and then like getting to see like getting those highlight highlighted um throughout the game like versus um you know versus like let's explore the relationship between shannon and conway like that is not that's like kind of like a really for me it feels back like background to the game's like main like direction of of showing you a space and showing you a world and and um and then using the, those spaces and those that texture to to basically lay out uh larger ideas about um about uh this basically was struggling on the margins of capitalism and struggling um, to find a space when 
when like these like larger forces are pushing you out and yeah kind of like um a lot of it is like a kind of a kind of a uh, a obituary for a certain kind of lifestyle yeah and i think i mean that's why i think that's pretty much how i feel about it too i think the maybe a weakness it's not it's not to me an enormous deal while you're playing it but when you talk about things like you know what's the relationship between shannon and conway (laughs) and i could tell you but i don't think it's much of one it's it's kind of like these characters come together and there's basically a sense that their priorities are somewhat aligned you know, like uh, they're not Ezra. the Fellowship of the Ring, right? They don't, <laughs> right? They they don't have some heroic quest that they're all like working towards together. They're no, all they're... on these very disparate journeys that are barely tangentially related. They're bar- they're not even really going in the same direction, so it's not even like a hitchhiker narrative. Yeah, because, and you you kind of, I mean, you really see how that plays out in the very end when you have the characters kind of deciding well what are we going to do and it is very much up to you how you've pictured their relationships as a player so I think though that does give you things like when when Yusuf when you were mentioning too like Conway's alcoholism to me I think it that kind of stuff hit harder maybe as like something allegorical or uh the the symbolism of when he's taking the drink and he's getting into this debt or when he's um in act four there's stuff like him you know jumping off a pier drunk and just going for a swim which is maybe actually more humanizing than some of the other stuff Mm -hmm. um but when he also then you get the sense that uh when he is gone you've kind of lost something that's i don't know you do get the sense that there's something disjointed when these characters are not when you're not sort of having the more human emotional reactions to the things going on around them it's harder to remember certain things about why you're supposed to care about how they relate that might be a confusing way to explain what i'm trying to say (laughs) no i think it makes Uh total sense and there's also like there's so much going on um i mean i think it's also why the game uh, rewards is a replay which i haven't done yet um but i think it because there there are so many layers to everything and like every interaction is like thought-provoking <laughs> where he's like oh that's like something mm-hmm. i want to sit sit on and think about um but yeah so then like things like more traditional characterization uh, can get left by the wayside as a result yeah like which isn't to say i think that these characters are just not human anyway it's just that i think the game is more concerned with also like like you were saying yusuf like with the places that they're in the situations that they're in rather than with conway you do get some of those nice moments where well nice quote-unquote where he's sort of like has that inner monologue of remembering uh christ i can't forget the names now but he's roofing and you know the sun is killed and it's his fault, essentially. Um, you know, he's thinking of the the husband and wife that he was living with, 
Lys- uh, who's Lyset and Iron? I can't. Yeah, remember. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's Lyset's antiques, right? Mm-hmm. Is the um. So you do get moments like that, but then, you know, he he's not. You're not getting. It kind of has this like sober, kind of modernist style of presenting things to you and not dwelling in the emotion of it, letting you kind of figure it out for yourself or imply whatever is being communicated. So, I don't know that that works for me, but I also think that is a weakness that that's worth talking about. Yeah, I also feel like one thing that the game does is it doesn't um, push moments of characterization on you, in that like a lot of the conversations you're allowed to make really stark choices about what kind of things you're talking about, and often those did seem to be presented as choices between kind of more broader world building or thematic things and kind of more personal conversations about the histories of the characters and world building. I feel like a lot of the times um, when Shannon and Conway have a chance to talk, they have a chance to talk either about the situation or themselves. And so I feel like how much characterization you get out of the game and how interested you become in those relationships depends a lot upon the choices you make as a player and the degree to which sort of the player agency in this game is very curatorial and you have a sort of control over the tone of the experience that you don't have really in in any other game I can think of off the top of my head because because you have such distinct decisions in terms of who's talking and who they're talking to and what they're talking about in a lot of situations. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. It's also, you see this, um, and a lot of games don't, uh, wouldn't do this for a lot of different reasons, but Kentucky Route Zero, especially in, I think it's uh, especially in Act 4, is very comfortable with saying, you can look at this or you can look at that. You can't see both unless you are willing to go through it again. Um, their riverboat journey especially has these kind of A or B choices of, you know, are you going to stay on the boat and talk to so-and-so? You know, Ezra wants to, I think, at one point look at some, uh, like, boxes of old uh, public access TV tapes or you can disembark at, you know, a gas station and see what's going on there. Um, But for... A lot of it, you are kind of choosing, yeah, to know more about the situation and the fiction of the game or what's going on in the characters' heads. Um, I mean, that is a sort of that is sort of a trait of modern um, interactive fiction. So you know, post mm. uh, post like a what people think of as like classic interactive fiction is like um, things written in like Inform Seven or. Um, I think it's TADS is what it was called. Um, like, those sorts of resources where when people think of interactive fiction, they think of uh, Zork or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But, like, post... Oh, gosh. 2010, maybe? You've got the rise of, like, modern interactive fiction. And specifically, like, the... F- um, like, Ink. So, um, mm. 
Kentucky Route Zero is written in ink, I think. Um, Jake Elliott's done like workshops on it before, and so I think it's written in ink. And um, ink is also like, um, of course, is around the world in 80 days. Uh, I think they did a Frankenstein story. I can't remember what else they're working on right now. And that's all like ink games. And that's one of the sort of, the guy who made ink did a really good talk about like choice and character and this false dichotomy of what you believe is a choice as a player versus what is actually a choice. Like, you may think that you've made this great choice or this really, like, this distinctive, unique thing, but it actually, like, you would have had that option later as well. Um, he talks about it with a, with a 80 days, specifically. Right. Sorry to get super technical. <laughs> no, I think... No, this is great. <laughs> I, I think that's interesting, too, because I did want to talk a bit about how this game both is and isn't sort of a conventional adventure game, especially an adventure game in the mold of, uh, you know, 80 days is maybe the more direct one, but also you, you know, think about like telltale and stuff where Mm -hmm. I think in 2013, I think it was maybe 2012 or something when the walking dead, the first season of that came out, which really, you know, popularized the whole so-and-so will remember that when you make the whole idea that the point of playing these games is, uh, your decisions are going to impact the story. And then I think a lot of people fell off these kind of games because they they went, oh, well, whatever, you're still going to get the same cutscene. And to me, that was not something I cared about. The, the point was the choices were sort of a way to... Uh, like... The, the characters were going to be the characters essentially yeah uh when it boils down to it but you are sort of guiding the margins of them it's like you're reading from like a just like a basic like you know uh english lit class type this is fascinating kind of way to bring the reader into proximity with the text uh in ways that i think are a lot more interesting than uh, so and so will remember this. Yeah, because yeah. like, like that's not um, how that's not how like actual relationships are built, right? Like you don't have like, and then there was this one moment in my past where they didn't give me the claw hammer, and I will remember that forever. <laughs> like that's not that's not character building. That's um, I mean, I guess it is if you're Telltale, but that's not <laughs> like that's not character building. That's there's a it's just so basic. Uh, but yeah, I think I think you see that in the works of Ink. I think you see that movement towards what Kentucky Route Zero is popularizing in a substantial way. You see that with the, the, the games from Ink, and you see that with, um, say, Emily Short, who's probably one of the most uh, preeminent uh, interactive fiction writers right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, Julie. <laughs> no, I was going to say just this makes me wish I had a stronger background in interactive <laughs> fiction and makes me glad that you do Amanda because that's an extremely helpful helpful perspective that I just don't know a lot about I mean I think I, I think it it's it's hard because interactive fiction is a very uh, niche community like I used to I used to run Storygate which like only did interactive fiction writing and we only reviewed interactive fiction stories and 
that whole concept was mostly like um what i found in doing that was that games like games writing in general and interactive fiction writing are two entirely separate like communities and there's not mm-hmm. a ton of crossover and their reader base because in interactive fiction communities they're readers they're not players like it's, it's that much of like a breakdown yeah it's interesting when you think about that kind of thing too i could see because when you do recommend a game like kentucky Route zero uh i i would you know cheekily recommend it to, to everyone who and just say it's just a video game same thing with like you know something like disco elysium just saying it's just a video game you know even though really you are kind of asking someone to sit because at the uh, well at the start you said like um you know you, you you didn't say what genre the game is it's a point and click adventure like it is a puzzle it's a puzzleless yeah. point and click adventure it's it you point and click it's it's the same genre as grim fandango but they are unrecognizable next to each other and that's fascinating yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah it's uh and it's i'm so glad there are puzzles I would not like I, this game if there were puzzles. I was just <laughs> I'd be say, like, I can't follow you there. I was just going to say, like, this is what, when a friend lent me, you know, his Grim Fandango discs, and Ooh. I hadn't played that many games, and I was like, this is awesome, I love this, and then I got into puzzles I couldn't get past, and I was like, never mind. That this game was is like unplayable without a walkthrough. <laughs> yeah, like, to me, this is... Like games like this are what I wanted from those kind of things, right? Like I want the the uh, pace and the, of the story and the exploration and and everything, not not puzzles. <laughs> yeah, because those games do have like a lot of some elements are analogous, where it is like walking around environments and clicking on things to see what happens and what your char- how your character responds to those things. Um, and like, yes, everything, everything up until the puzzles, is yeah the same package. But then, those games become this sort of. Um, people want that, sometimes outrageous challenge, of, of very difficult to solve puzzles on top of that. But the, you know, I, I think, yeah, it would it, it wouldn't work here in in any way. No. It would feel really hokey. Um, one of no. the last great schisms in the interactive fiction community was over whether interactive fiction games were required to have puzzles or not. Like, <laughs> they had to start a new, um, they had to, they had to literally start a new, like, awards thing because people were that upset about, like, interactive fiction games not having puzzles. It's such a, That's such yeah, a... It's such a strange <laughs> way of looking at things. It's like... This this game didn't like make me frustrated and challenged. Oh, like it's not a, you know it's not worth it. Like it's like this game didn't have like something that was like I could boast about completing basically. If there was if there's that, that fri- like there's no friction. There was a uh, Andrew Plotkin released a IF game in the late 2010s. I can't remember what year it was, but one of its selling features was you could pay extra money for a DLC that was a completion certificate that verified that you played the game without looking at a walkthrough. That's wild. <laughs> That's a. <laughs> it's like a real. That's wow. 
real, I don't know, real gamer stuff. But, but like, again, <laughs> they're not gamers, they're readers. I'm sorry, I've, like, taken us, like, super off course. It's just... This no. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting, too, because Kentucky Route Zero has these... Uh, I was kind of mentioning it a bit before, two ways in which it's it's very much its own thing, but then also, like Amanda, when you're saying, you know, it's an adventure game. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a yeah. point-and-click adventure game, which is true. Um, but the ways in which it uh, resembles very much other things, but then is also not beholden to genre, uh, really, um, like, in, in a way that's really rigid, which I think is something that I'm always happy to see in games, um, like Disco Elysium, or, yeah, oh, sorry, I was thinking of that too, but that game doesn't have combat, right? It looks like, um, like a Planescape Torment or something, it looks like those, um, those isometric computer RPGs, and it takes a lot from that genre, but also it's not a game that is... That, that cares about making you have gunfights or, uh, aside from very small examples or whatever, magic fights and blah, blah, blah. Um, and Kentucky Route Zero is also a game that is a point-and-click adventure, but it doesn't seem to feel like you need to be doing the point-and-click uh, conventions of, you know, an inventory system and... Uh, puzzles and blah blah blah. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of like walking simulators, except that I don't think it's as much a departure um, from like the genre because, like I said, like I think there's a lot of point and click adventure in this, minus like the the weird macho bullshit about puzzles. <laughs> um, but it's also, it's, I think walk, walking simulators is interesting too because that time of the decade was also when walking simulators started becoming a thing. Like this kind of this basically a, an approach to using the mechanics of of video games and the conventions and what had come before, but then trying to make something new, like something that hadn't been done before. And I think that a lot of walking simulators achieve that, and I think that also you get that with with this game as well. Yeah, it has that. I think it very firmly belongs to that uh, early to mid. What are we calling that decade now? The tens, I guess. <laughs> the teens. Uh, thing, <laughs> the teens, right. Uh, where it felt like you could find an audience. It felt like things were kind of exciting in games in terms of what what was gaining mainstream visibility um, in all aspects of of the medium and criticism and so forth and so on. Um but yeah, I think I wanted to redirect a tiny bit, and I wonder if it might be interesting to talk, since I have the ears of three Americans. <laughs> That's six American ears. <laughs> too, too many American um, ears. That's, that's a lot. Uh, to talk a little bit about how this game feels to be an American, I... I think there was there was this discussion right about um, I, won't, I won't bring up exact specifics of it because I think it was talked to death and, and the specifics of it aren't the most interesting part but the idea was 
this is another American game made by Americans. Um, that's about America, <laughs> which oh, yeah. I think is. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I did. Oh man, I totally forgot about that. Really it fascinating was, yeah, that take. It was a fascinating <laughs> take. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, <laughs> I understand. Uh, I think, especially a lot of Canadians. Uh, definitely lots of people around the world, but a lot of Canadians, just because of proximity and cultural proximity, are like, yeah, everything's fucking set in America. We get it. Like, even stuff by Canadians has to be set in America. And it's irritating. But at the same time... Oh, man, we're really suffering from a market saturation of Kentucky-oriented products. <laughs> well, <laughs> Tell and me, I'd also uh, say... Oh, man, so much Appalachia. And uh, yeah. you're just drowning in it. Like, you know, you just go to the movies and it's just movie after movie about West Virginia and Kentucky. And can we get another part of this, of the country? Well, sorry. <laughs> that I was think, perhaps like, too sarcastic. No, whatever. <laughs> go for it. It was, it was a hell of a take. Um, uh, on one hand, like on the, on the broader scale, I'd say they're actually are relatively few games that are about America. I think there are just a, you know, astronomical amount of games and media in general that's set in America. Um, but games that are specifically saying this is about this country. And then to say it's about this region of the country, it's about this state, it's about um, these kind of people in this country. Or, you know, in America, in Kentucky in uh, these kind of industries and so forth. And I was kind of wondering, just like in a very general sense, how that worked for you. Like, Amanda, I know <laughs> you have strong feelings about this because you are... From the region? I, I, is that what it is? Kentuckian? Kentuckian? Yeah, Kentuckian. Yeah. yeah, and obviously your article is about this, but I'm, I'm curious to get sort of like a... Yeah. I mean, Kentucky Road Zero isn't set in Kentucky. Kentucky Road Zero is set in a magical realist, uh, t- like, flavored by Kentucky. So, but <laughs> th- there's that, like, right off right off the bat. But, like, I don't know. Like, I think about it a lot because um, in terms of, like, representation in media in general, you don't get a lot of things about this part of the country at all. Like, mm-hmm. you just don't. So, I mean, I think that there are, I think you're also right, though. There are very few games about, like, about specifically life in the U.S. Um, you've got things like Grand Theft Auto, which is more about how, um, I don't know, Scottish people see the U.S. through media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that game's not about, like, has no bearing in reality either. But I don't know if there's a lot of games that are about what, what the U- what America really is about they're just about like this hollywood daydream fantasy thing i think watchdogs 2 does a great job of capturing san francisco and silicon valley uh if you guys have played that one Mm-mm. i have played that it one. is very accurate i've never i've never been to san francisco <laughs> it's extremely accurate um and especially like the silicon valley stuff i'm like damn they got it just like it's so weird it's such a weird place it's perfect. It's a perfect place to set a video game. Yeah, especially if you're doing like the, 
uh, very kind of obvious satire kind of stuff that like a GTA or a Watch Dogs yeah. trades in, right? Yeah, but you're right yeah. about like GTA being very much uh, a Hollywoodification um, or just a Hollywood vi- version of of New York and LA and all that. I mean, and that's. I mean, it seems to me that's what, a lot of what you're talking about with Kentucky Route Zero, where it's not necessarily Hollywood, but like it's based in fable more than it is in like the lived experience of people there. Like it's more yeah. like what yeah. America, what people, what people outside of Kentucky think of when they think of Kentucky. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, yeah. There's definitely this distinct sense that most games set in America are not actually set in America. Yeah, they're set in this sort of generalized mediated version of America that doesn't actually exist in any particular place in the country. Um, And, like, I'm obviously not from... Well, I guess not obviously. (laughs) You wouldn't know. But I'm not from Kentucky. Um, I'm I'm from Texas. Uh, And so, like, I can't speak to the specific regionalism of it, but I can speak to parts of it feeling very particularly American. I think particularly... um, the texture of the dialogue um, and sort of the rhythms with which people talk felt very, I mean, obviously heightened and mystical and full of a lot more poetry than most people use in normal (laughs) conversational speech. But there's a certain rhythm and texture to the way people talk in this game that feels American. Like I can hear their accents almost. And that like... Yeah. Yeah, like there's a there's a scene in Act Four. A friend of mine was was playing it with me, and there's a scene in Act Four where uh, the two people sitting at the bar say something like, uh, uh, "Do you know about the pollution on the Ohio River?" And she's just sitting next to me. She just goes intimately. And it's just <laughs> like it's like this, like the especially around like Act Four and Act Five. I think they got the general regional cadence down like really well. Yeah. Yeah, and you you mentioned that too in your article, isn't that? Didn't two of the three of them One. relocate to, or was it just uh, Jake Elliott? Uh, the, yeah, um, uh, he's I, the writer. Yeah, uh, the writer yeah. relocated, I believe, between Act Three and Act Four. I'm not a hundred percent on that um, because uh, his wife's from Elizabethtown. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but I believe that the other two stayed in um, Chicago and uh, San Francisco. Okay. I Or L.A. I was going to say the one thing, though, and I don't know. See, this... <laughs> I think if there's a game set in Ontario, in southern Ontario, that, that was by... Well, I don't know. This, this would never happen because nobody would play it except for... Uh, Canadians who are not a big enough market. But if someone from, I don't know, let's say Vancouver made a game set in, let's say, I don't know, Cambridge, Ontario, a small <laughs> town, um, or, I don't know, medium town, you you would see it and you would go, you don't know this. Like, this <laughs> isn't, you, you don't know this place. Like you, but at the same time, I think there's something about Kentucky Route Zero where maybe it's it's grounding in Kentucky itself or even the south I you know I, I am not intimately familiar uh, enough 
but it rang true to me in terms of working class towns um of the way people talk uh when they're sort of like sitting at a diner shooting the shit like I, i grew up in a small town and the kind of people who are you know at the bar and who are wandering around like the farmers and so forth like it's there's something i think relatively universal about the way people talk um who are just sort of uh i don't know the best way to describe it that i think maybe if it's not kentucky 100 percent, it rang true as as something at least north american is maybe as far as i would go in terms of being able to claim that but i don't know is i think it's also about intention right like where um there's obviously the question of authenticity but also what are they trying to say with the setting which i think that's where the universality of the themes come out where you're like oh yeah this is about working class people this is about poor people like and there are poor people everywhere which i think your article read like did a really great job at like connecting your lived experience with what the game was talking about where it's like you know like and, and for me as well, where it's like, I'm not going to be able to like speak to the authentic- authenticity having never been to Kentucky and, you know, growing up in New York, but like where I can, where the game can reach me is in its, um, in the messages trying to convey. And as long as the, um, I think, and I think as long as the message, message is strong, which it is, which is, it's kind of like, I, like we spoke about just talking, like addressing this these um these power imbalances this this idea of marginalization um and uh, and i think and, and debt and poverty like as long as these connect then um i think that the rest of the, the rest of it carries through like i was thinking a lot while we were talking about um three billboards which was like a fucking <laughs> terrible movie and yeah. <laughs> and um so the three clearly billboards Southern outside Missouri. Of, yeah. Outside Ebbing, of, Missouri. Ebb, Ebbing, Missouri. And, like, that movie was, like, basically trying to say is, like, racists are okay because they're people, too. <laughs> like, That's a, a valuable yeah. message. And, oh. and, like, and that was a game. That, I mean, that was a movie that was very inauthentic, as be, you know, similar to Kentucky Reserve, where it was made, not necessarily similar because it was made by, like, a, like a guy from the UK, but, like, that w- w- because the message was so off base then that's when like it, the inauthenticity like really like, stands out and you're like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about like this is not a place mm. at all like this is not a real place these are not real people whereas like um yeah i think and obviously i can't speak to the authenticity but just reading amanda's article i don't think you're even coming at it from that angle where it's like they're off base to that degree it's more like stuff like calling with a uh, bourbon whiskey was it <laughs> bourbon whiskey whiskey well, bourbon <laughs> so uh, to clarify also bourbon is a type of whiskey yes. um yeah but it's a it's a square is a rectangle thing right <laughs> like yeah. you would never call you would never call kentucky you would never call a kentucky brewed whiskey anything but a bourbon because that's what it is yeah i don't know like, no one from that region or like the entire American <laughs> South would would ever make that mistake. <laughs> it just yeah. would not happen. When it happened, yeah, I... my partner looked over at me. He's like, "They're going to release a patch, right?" 
they're going <laughs> to fix that, right? And I was like, no, they're not going to go back and fix that. They should, though. I mean, that more speaks to... apologize. I think, and I've talked to a, a David, who's one of the writers at Unwinnable, about this, because he talked about how um, he's grown up all his life in Chicago, and Chicago frequently gets, like, featured in movies and stuff, but it's never right. Like, it's never actually Chicago. And he's like, yeah, it happens all the time. And I think it really is just a case of Kentucky's never featured in anything. So it was just really jarring when it's not, like, when it's like, oh, wait, that isn't Kentucky at all. Like, that's some magical super place. <laughs> yeah. Where- I mean... You're talking to someone. I think one of the only games ever set in Toronto is uh, Soma. Oh, by <laughs> by the Amnesia people. That, does that really count? Well, actually, the beginning does feel very Canadian. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know that it does. That train. Scene? And I mean, I don't know. Just real Canadian. Set in in Toronto feels like kind of a push. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's rough. I, I, I think I have mentioned this before, though. But I played... very small apartments in Toronto. Because I think that I... apartment. Would that apartment would probably be worth like I don't know twenty two hundred a month? Yeah, it's <laughs> depending on where it was in town. There was a I think Ed like tweeted about it or wrote something about um, everybody's gone to the Rapture. Yeah, and like how that related to like being in like I guess small town England and how it just feels really weird and uncomfortable and foreign. Yeah, that's. Um, and I think eventually we will do some kind of thing on that. Try to rope Ed into it to argue because I love that game and he despises it. Uh, that is the only um, game I've taken an angry nap during. I hate that game. <laughs> um. I have mixed feelings about that game, but I think I'm oh. closer to read. I think I like it. So I also have mixed feelings about it. Oh. Um, but ooh, what I wanted whoa. to. Ooh. Your defense. Well, I don't want to get into this. I'm worried that I would then spend like 15 minutes talking about why it's defending such it. A beautiful, such a beautiful game. <laughs> but at the same time, I think and it is a beautiful game. You know, it's it's difficult without him here. So I'm cautious, of course, about putting words in his mouth. Um, but this relates also to something I wanted to ask about uh, to ask you, Amanda, about mm-hmm. Kentucky. In this, is I think Ed has said that. The things that ring false about something like um, everybody's gone to the rapture, which is set in the Midlands. Uh, I don't know exactly where it's supposed to be. I did know at one point. Um, but, you know, this is the area where he grew up, and so he says that sort of like this... Um, the things about the way the characters are, and there's like certain themes in that game, but like, you know, universality and and there are people of different religions and ethnic backgrounds and national origins and blah 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 and he's saying you know that that's that's not what this place is <laughs> you can't like this this is like you know um just everyone is from the same 100 kilometers or something or were people uh, from different places I, I thought that was one of the plot points is that like the woman who's like the you know spoiler involved with aliens was like american like an african-american woman and that was like to me that was like an like an interesting part of it where it's like oh 
There's also, there's some stuff with, like, other religions in it, I think. Mm. Like, some of the townspeople are, like, not, like, I don't know, white Christian dudes. But I can't recall. It's been years. And then even, I think there's, like, Irish and Scottish and, There is a, yeah, there is, like, (laughs) probably a granularity that I would totally pass over. I'm like, yeah, 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 UK, you British people. (laughs) Yeah, and 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 obviously... I mean, so, like for, go ahead. No, sorry, I was just going to say, so, but, like, I wonder then if, when you look at why it's set in Kentucky, mm-hmm. which I think is in, intentional, if that is, if that also feels like it's missing the mark in some way, because the vision of Kentucky in this, to me, felt like, you know, my outsider vision of Kentucky, too, if I was just going to, you know, like you put in your article and... I'm sure Julie could do this for Texas and Yusuf could do this for New York and and so on, where if you said describe this place, you're essentially describing kind of stereotypes, right? And or things that yeah, are like the things maybe that people expect. Years ago. Yeah. I mean the the thing that people saw the last time that they saw your place in, in either real life or in media. I mean, I think the, the problem that you're looking at with like the Kentuckianness of it is that it, it doesn't exist. Like there's not mm-hmm. really, like, that's not a part, what I see as, like, the central point, I guess, is not the thesis of what I would say being a Kentuckian is, right? Like, I don't, right. I don't see it as being, like, constantly, <laughs> constantly in debt to the man and hoping to someday find um, some way out, but also, like, being hopelessly stuck, which seems to be kind of the point of the game to an extent. But then also not, because, like, the thing with Act 5 is is that Act 5 has everyone who lived in that tiny town that got flooded leaving, which doesn't happen. Like, in, like people always knock, yeah. like, ho- like, hollers in eastern Kentucky, because people will live there, and then they'll get flooded out, and then they'll move back in. And people are like, why would you stay there? Why wouldn't you just leave? And it's like, oh, because this is where I've lived my whole life. Like, Well, see, like... Some of that was interesting to me, and maybe we should talk a bit about the end of this game mm-hmm. as like as maybe a place to kind of focus some some stuff toward the end. Because I took the end of the game as, and and I did sort of touch on this in what I was writing, that people don't want to leave where they're from, yeah. no matter even if it's a bad idea to live there, right? Like you're saying, people getting flooded out of their homes, and then when you know a month or two later picking up and going back again which like defies all logic that you would do something like that it seems just completely counterintuitive but people want to have their homes right they they want to and i think a lot of this game too is about the idea that well part of it's also the fiscal reality right so like yeah. Like my my parents, uh, my my mother, my mother's um, family is from is from deep eastern Kentucky, um, from a, from a town called Elkhorn. It has a population of nine hundred people, like it's small. And mm-hmm. um, I talked to her about it, and I was like, because I realized recently that uh, my grandfather, who was a coal miner for like twenty five years, owned land in eastern Kentucky, like he was a homeowner. And he didn't just own land, he owned 21 acres. And so when he died, he passed that land on to his kids. 
And I asked my mom, I was like, how did he afford that? And she's like, oh, it only cost him like three, seven thousand dollars. Like somewhere between three and seven thousand dollars. So like he bought all of that land for like nothing. And so it's really hard. And so like he where's he going to go? Like, Because right. <laughs> that was also part of it. Like, oh, we we're, we're all leaving town. How? What kind of there's money no do road. you have? Yeah, A, there's no road, but also, like, B, what money are you making in this town with no clear economy? Um, which, yeah, that's, like, that's like mocking a dream um, for its logic. But I don't know. That's that's part of it, right? Is there's also yeah, this I mean, idea of, like, you're not, you're not just not leaving because it's home. You're not leaving because where else are you going to go? Yeah, like... I um, grew up in a city of Tex- in Texas, like, a lot, it's a lot bigger than Elkhorn, but it's a place where, like, most people don't leave, and, like, my entire, the rest of my immediate f- family all lives within, like, 10 to 15 minutes of each other, mm-hmm. and then I'm the one who sort of got out, which puts one at sort of a really distinct fissure from the rest of the family and like makes you sort of from an outsider culture and there is you know there's very distinct like well like my mom doesn't have a lot of money and you know doesn't necessarily have steady employment but she has a house there and she owns that house so where would she go where she could get something like that elsewhere? There's nowhere. And so even if the place is terrible and you don't even want to be there, you don't really have the option to leave. The best you can do is maybe help other people leave, Mm -hmm. but you don't get to. And I think that's a mindset that I see really commonly of like, of course you should leave, get out, but I can't. Where would I go? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the, the stagnation reality, which is like this idea of like, oh, I could just, you know, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just go? Like, why are all these people staying in eastern Kentucky when there's no mines? Um, Because they have homes there, and they don't have homes anywhere else. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think yeah, to that point, like, because I have, like, a, count, a sort of a counterexample, but it kind of, like, does prove that, which is, like, yeah, so when people are forced to move because of, like, environmental circumstances, like, their life is doesn't get better in yeah. any way. Like, I mean, like, you know, there's, like, the Gullah people, like, it was, like, a classic example. Like, you know, they made the, another uh, magical realist movie about it, like, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah. Where it's, like, you know, like, in this app happening where people are getting forced off their land because of flooding, and they're homeless. Like, or, like, they're kind of getting pushed into, like, um, you know, pop, uh, living housing that is awful. And not better than where they were before, and especially not better because it's not their home anymore. I think, and also like, um, it reminds me of uh, visiting. So my mom's from Tunisia, North Africa, and um, like I visited there like a, probably over a decade ago. Um, where when and she's from the north, and like we had never gone to the south before because like um, that's basically the, the desert, like the Sahara, and but it's also where they shot a lot of Star Wars. <laughs> and um, or the first movie, and then so I went to the I went to the town where where like the they have like the holes in the ground that um, his house like Luke's like uncle and aunt's house is, and like there's a hotel that has the props and like the plastic plate like still some of the leftover like plastic they use to build the the props still attached to the walls, 
and um, it was a really really weird experience because like people did live like that and it's a really cool form of living where they basically would dig 30 40 feet deep holes in the ground and then um, put rooms in the walls of that hole so that you would have like geothermal he heating during the winter and then the, during the summer it would actually be really cool because it was like cool in the summer warm in the winter it was like and it felt that way because we actually stayed there was like a hotel another hotel where we stayed in to experience it but the original people like didn't live there anymore because those um because there was too much flooding basically like th those homes would just flood so they all they all moved to like the nearby town which was like not attractive or pretty like it was just like a just like a shitty town yeah um, with with modern buildings and um and that was i was just thinking about it now or like it's kind of interesting because i was coming at it totally from this outsider perspective and from this tourist perspective where i was like why wouldn't you want to live in these amazing <laughs> like ho like you know yeah. homes that sure they flood sometimes but like it's so much like more like like actually visually appealing than your current life um and like it's almost like a fantasy of of how people might live and i think there's a little bit of that in the final act where they you know you get to this town just as like people are leaving it and it's almost like is is that sort of an allusion to the rest of the game where it's like this fantasy that doesn't exist at all and then like it, there's a bit of like a of a of a splash of cold water in the face of the last chapter where it's like this is like you know we're we're kind of putting a, a lid on this like this is like w whatever you came to find is not actually here yeah i mean i i read it somewhat metaphorical in in the sense of i mean obviously and this probably speaks to me bringing my own circumstances and concerns or preoccupations or whatever uh to read it as um something you know about gentrification as well which i think the game has a lot of stuff about the uh, what is it the consolidated energy yeah company is that what it's called sort of you know the the major villain of the game uh the unseen force and everything that's kind of uh buying up whatever it can and and taking control of sort of every aspect of life so that people are kind of indentured servants to them and um can't afford to stay where they are which is maybe uh a, the backward version of what you know amanda and, and julie what you were saying and i was kind of reading it also as you know the idea that these are uh economic systems that are designed as kind of people have always done to in more insidious ways than than you or, or subtle ways than you might see in in cases where people violently remove people from their homes um to force people to to leave and the game essentially posing the question at the end of do you kind of stay put and hold on to what you can even though doing that is kind of suicidal in a sense or do you essentially or like do, do you kind of try to stand in the face of this thing and transform it 
in whatever way you can um or or do you pick up and move on and and kind of hope you can stay out of the uh i don't know the range of of the storm and and keep moving and to me that kind of felt like maybe uh some some kind of statement about or or question that they wanted the the player to to think about on their own terms of of how you you deal with um economic systems especially in you know north america at least but lots of other places where that's kind of the situation for a lot of especially our generation is is understanding do you you try to yeah like do you do you try to (laughs) kind of overturn it all or do you try to escape the worst of it you know and the game having i think a lot of empathy for both viewpoints but at the same time too i'm like sensitive too to what you're saying amanda and julie when you're looking at this like well where are they going (laughs) especially when you're when you're uh situating it in kentucky and saying you know i don't know see like that's also i think it's so valuable and intro or like it's so interesting to hear someone from kentucky i mean i talk about the realities of, of life there yeah so the consolidated power company is like a clear allusion to like you know the coal companies in the 1930s yeah and through like the 1960s really i mean they they talk about like scrip at some point and even like the the form of indentured servitude that they're talking about that i mean that's how coal companies operated for a hundred years in kentucky Mm -hmm. like you would basically sell your life away like my grandparents when they got married uh my grandmother's ring was a uh, railroad nail not like a tie but like just like a straightforward like nail and someone formed it for him because my grandfather had no money except scrip so he had to have a friend make him a wedding ring Mm -hmm. because he just couldn't buy one because they didn't have any money and like that's I, I took it to be sort of about the cyclical nature of sort of institutionalized power and authority and uh, monetary reach. Like these are the the way that these systems used to be. Like um, during this whole quarantine thing, my partner and I have been. Um, no, sorry. Go ahead. I, I thought I heard someone. Sorry. Drop <laughs> that. Oh, hmm? wait. No, wait, someone left. No. We lost Reed. No. Oh. Oh, we're back. Did we lose? Everything's okay. okay. Yeah, we're back. We're, okay. we're back. Okay. Everything's okay. Right. Sorry. Hello. <laughs> Hello. There we go. So during this whole quarantine thing, uh, my partner and I have been uh, doing uh, Find a Grave with the local African-American cemetery. Um, it's uh-huh. We're helping photograph the whole cemetery because uh, it's an activity you can do with no one else. And you go through and you take pictures and you associate them with, like, the records they have of the graveyard. And I keep finding names of people in this graveyard who were former slaves, recently former slaves, at the point in which they died. Because this um, graveyard stopped being in use in the early 1920s, but has um, graves dating back to the 1700s. And you have um, the names of a current prominent family in my city. Um, who are all very white. And you have, like, mm-hmm. basically the names of their former slaves in this graveyard. 
And they're currently part of this gentrifying effort in, like, 2020 to, like, move African-American neighborhoods out of town. And it's just, like, it's like watching these, like, systems of cyclical bullshit, (laughs) like, repeat. I don't know. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. That is wild. And there is absolutely a sense in 2020 that things have circled back around to, like... 1880 or 1930 (laughs) in in terms of like the economic power of large corporations and like suddenly the idea of company script doesn't seem all that far away in a world where like google basically has planned communities and transportation for i mean per its workforce even when i i worked very temporarily at a local acs which is a call center for health it runs call centers for healthcare. And Scrip is very much alive. Like, they would give you payment on a credit card that they owned. That you had to, like, pay the interest rates on the credit card to the company. Like, Mm -hmm. that was the way you were paid. Because a lot of people don't have bank accounts. Yeah, it's just straight wrong. But, like, that's, like, Scrip is still alive. It's never gone away. It's just got a fancier plastic coating. Yeah. I, I think... Amanda, that's spot on to a lot of what I took from this game as well. When when you're saying it's it's uh, partially a game that's showing that these things keep happening. This is uh, endemic to. Um, I mean, it's cultural too, but specifically an economic system that uh, exists to. <laughs> to find new ways to do the same old like inhuman stuff you know to kind of grind people down um yeah i don't i mean mean, also just to add like it's that but it's i i really there is a big component of the game that is feels almost autobiographical when it where it's talking about how do you how are you how can you be an artist in this world Oh yeah, um, because like especially with the interstitial chapters, where it's like a lot of it is like one's a student play, like one's an art gallery. Um, there's like a, a pirate television broadcast. You know, like it's it is so much about these like, and even this town in the last act. Like, I mean, there's something about I'm not sure if like I was reading into it them being kind of squatters or like you know basically like passing you know they were just like they were there because it was convenient um and they like it was like a way to exist on the margins um and then like when it got when it hit when the company found them then that became incorporated into the company and it became like kind of then that's when it became owned by the company but the rest of the but a lot of the other characters and like them and a lot of other characters in the game are artists and performers and like are trying to like um kind of make ends meet in a world that absolutely doesn't have space for that kind of life um and like it felt to me like they were just telling their own story a little bit um at the same time you know obviously they're this game is doing well like they're but who knows how like actually sustainable it is probably not very well yeah it's it's in video games so who knows (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah this this game, I think it also it does a really good job of tying together the thing, which is this really kind of peculiar 
uh, idea that's like been repurposed and repackaged from kind of like folksy uh, right wingers that uh, art is like decadent and it's from people who are detached from the human experience in in a certain way uh, which is like a weird flip of the coin of being like all art is bourgeois you know like but instead it's like uh, if you you know make music or write or something then you're you're you might as well be like lying on your fainting couch eating grapes and blah 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 yeah. uh, this game I think does a good job of reminding that even uh, the kind of art that most people might think of is like sort of academic uh, like experimental and avant-garde art is not is actually pretty important to like a folk tradition that it's it's embedded within it it's it's part of uh, the culture of a people you know that it, it's not detached and elite it's it's something that is just really basically human um, which I thought was interesting too and, but I mean when you talk about the somewhat autobiographical nature of it I, that stuff sticks out a ton and it's I mean, stuff that I imagine all of us think about at a certain point of if it's if it's possible or if it's like completely naive and silly to try to do anything that is art or related to art and expect to survive in any way off of it. This game gave us that thing about that I think will. <laughs> resound for a lot of people who played it who do creative work for trying to make any kind of money with it where um it was reminding me so much of like indie band culture Mm -hmm. of the guy busking at the the what's the bar called in the underground in the cave system the lower depth no not that one the uh it's like the the hawaiian bar yeah, I don't remember what it's called, just that it's a tiki bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's, uh, I think this is a Shannon. You go around and try to get donations for the tip jar. And yeah. I think some musician puts in five bucks, which is one of the bigger tips, and someone says that five dollars is just traveling from show to show. <laughs> yeah, that that resonates real hard. I see that screen capped on, like, artist Twitter all the time. <laughs> Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It's like, especially nowadays where you Patreon stuff and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm paying your site five dollars. You're paying my site five dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like how I am subscribed to your Patreon and then you pay me money for writing for you. It's a whole like, <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, a big that, circle. <laughs> there's that tweet right about like indie indie. Uh, indie art culture is sending each other the same ten dollars over and over again oh, yeah. into perpetuity. Like... Yeah, that's yeah. It's like the Venmo thing is the is the technological equivalent of like passing the five dollars at a pay what you can show over and over <laughs> back and forth. Um, there's so, actually there's actually I, like, I did something at this gallery in New York, I Beam, where I like spoke and then they gave and they paid me but then like they, they uh, there was an option to actually like donate some of it back 
and I was like, oh, you know what? I kind of like this. <laughs> it's a bit more like open about the process where you're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like I do want to support you. Like that's why I did this. I didn't do this to get paid. Like this would not support me. This is why I have to work like another job. Um, like, but I, there is like, that is like kind of its own economy basically. Yeah. The economy of people who are <laughs> trying to survive, but also want the practice like the ability to have these things happen yeah. at all survive and, too <laughs> yeah in the, in the sense of like we're giving you money because it's the right thing to do but to be w real with you we kind of need the money <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're giving you money but if you could please give it back <laughs> Precisely. this, this was vibe. more of a ceremonial offering <laughs> yeah uh can we yeah. go? Can we go Dutch on your on your salary? <laughs> uh, is there anything else we want to get to specifically? I feel like we talked a lot about um, the things, sort of that the game is saying. And no, I guess no. We talked about some some more granular stuff too. Uh, is there anything that that any of you want to get into before we? Send it on home. That's a um, resounding no. Name, I, mean, huh? I, I think we went over some cool, some good stuff, some very solid stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, I, I this feel was like good. I've overly dominated the conversation, <laughs> so no, you have not. It's been great. It's been great. No, not. I mean, speaking just for myself as well, Amanda. It's. I think it's interesting, and especially to, uh, and Julia's another southerner as well to have <laughs> your perspectives um yeah so i mean i guess that's it i guess if you want more there's the website so you can uh you can read what all of us think uh in written form as well mm -hmm. uh and that should be either wrapped up or or wrapping up very soon by the time uh you're hearing this i'm doing my uh, best <laughs> we all, we a, all are we all are yeah yeah not to like date this podcast too much or anything but it's a it's a weird time right now uh, i think it'll be, be i think you'll be safe to say that for the foreseeable yeah. future i would love this that um super dated by the time this even goes up this is probably the podcast that you've done that mo will most be a historical document you know this is your uh, like the found of... transcript thing when they uh, <laughs> yeah exactly the, the audio log in an, in a bigger video game when they're like oh man look at list of them talking about being stuck <laughs> <laughs> they're still recording podcasts <laughs> wild right yeah look at the the ways that ancient humans <laughs> entertain themselves um yeah so Amanda where can people find you. Um, I am probably best found on Twitter at uh, Barely Concealed. Is there anything specific you want to point people to that you've done recently? No, that, that'll do. <laughs> that's that's probably what I'm, I'm best... I do a semi-weekly column for Unwinnable. I do a monthly thing about fan fiction. But honestly, you can find everything about me on my Twitter. Uh, Julie, have you laid yourself bare on your Twitter? 
Uh, yeah, probably more than I should. So you can absolutely find me there at um, Julie Muncy 23. Um, you can also find my work um, at the culture section of Wired.com. And on the weekends, I actually run Gizmodo's sci-fi and fantasy blog io9. So you can check that out too. I know. I see you in the Kinja carousel. Yes. And every time I see you, I go, "Hey, it's Julie." <laughs> hey. Damn, Julie, your your outro sounded so professional. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That was really good. Yusuf, do you want to say your Twitter? Just, just yeah. In case? Um, you can find me on Twitter at you me you. Um, and yeah, I write monthly for Winnable. I have a column there, and Ooh. I write here. If you're on this website, you're in the right place. If you're gonna read some of my writing. <laughs> Um, yeah and uh, uh, that's it yeah and then I guess site stuff uh, you follow us at bullet points VG on Twitter I really hate that it's VG but you can't get bullet points because video games is one word so I guess it should just be like bullet points V you know but then people well, think it's, one of, it's, it's one of those five. fancy abbreviations you yeah know, it's like a two part word I guess so uh, <laughs> you should go there and follow there you know it's almost to a thousand followers i know for nice. most people that's that's not much but you know for uh for just a little a little website with dirt on its face and wearing a tattered newsboy cap that's that's not bad um obviously go to bulletpointsmonthly.com uh for articles there are so many articles there you can read them all for free, which, frankly, is a terrible business model. Um, so <laughs> you you can read all that stuff for free. Uh, lately, what have we had months on? Yusuf, what have we had months on? Well, we just Last did, month was winter. Yeah, a month about winter-themed um, articles, and that was really cool. You should definitely read that. Even though it was very warm winter, yeah. we just we ignored that part of it that. and uh, pretended it was a cold one. Uh, January was about um, uh, uh, Death Stranding. Death Stranding. Remember that game? I do. I just finished it like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> it took so long. It's a very Great long game. game. It's very long. Great game. It's, Let's roll right into a inter- discussion of Death Stranding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not. Let's please not. Um, yeah, and uh, obviously the Patreon, which... Just go there. You know, every time you support it, it it makes us live longer. It's uh, and it makes us feel better. And ignore the part where we were talking about how Patreon is just people passing around the same ten dollars to each other. Ignore that conversation. No. It is. <laughs> you can you can give us money even if you're not involved in create the creative writing and the critical writing spheres. You know what I'd say? I'd say give your money to us instead of the um, the websites that have salaries for their staff and are backed by major corporations. Even if those websites are great and you love them. You should give your money to us because it goes directly into the pockets of hardworking people like you. <laughs> we're the PBS of video game websites. <laughs> yes. Um, I like that. We're the, the, the WEZT. What's it called in Kentucky Road Zero? That TV station. Oh, gosh. WETV? Something like that? Yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. We're them. Yeah, it's, that's us. We're, 
We're in our leaky little tin shed that's about to be pulverized by a storm. Um, but also, if you sign up for Patreon, uh, we're going to do more of this stuff. It's hard to to uh, get the time to put into it as well, but we do have exclusive podcast series. There's some... Yusuf and I have been talking about some stuff, but there's also... Uh, older stuff like uh, Astrid and I did, and Julie, you're on some of those. We played through all of Kingdom Hearts and talked about it. You can listen to those. And there's the Industry Minute podcast, which uh, there'll be more of those coming as well. Um, and even uh, without an E3, well, what are you going to cover? <laughs> what if, what if we talked about an alternative E3? <laughs> You're really reaching. You're really reaching. So, Devolver? Talk about... <laughs> no, listen. Talk about never... an E3 from a year past, as if it's new. That's true. That'd be that... a fun one. Yeah. Do like a 1993. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I would listen to that. The, the fun thing about that show is that there's never a shortage of uh, hard-hitting video game journalism to discuss. <laughs> Um, yeah so check those out and also the $10 a month and up there's a copy of OK Hero which is uh, our book about the Metal Gear Solid series which um, you can go buy anyway I'm going to wrap this up because I know if you do these things at the end for too long people are like ugh I don't want to hear about what you're working on (laughs) (laughs) or how to support any of you Uh, so I'll just say lastly that also um bullet points is part of the super culture network uh which currently is is us and bad end podcast which is a very good podcast that you should listen to um and we're also doing a uh the first series of super culture review which is kind of a collaborative thing that we've been doing is a podcast series on disco elysium called uh savoir fair and you can find that as well um go to uh Oh Christ! Is it superculturenetwork.com? Is it superculture.network? Okay, thank you, <laughs> thank you, Amanda, for being uh, on this better than I am. So anyway, go there and check out all that stuff. And I think that's gonna do it. Until next time. See you guys. May see the, you later. Bye. May the road rise up to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.